We are in Alma 31 today, and we're coming off the story of Korahor. And you'll remember it's the Zoramites who trod on Korahor and he died. And if you think about that, who does that? I mean, seriously, who does that? If there's a beggar coming for help, who would trot upon them and die? And here we get to learn about the Zoramites in this chapter and who he chose, who Korahor chose to align himself with, who he felt comfortable around. And we'll understand why as we read this. And here is their story. And it tells us in verse um, 1 and 2, that Alma is really disheartened as the prophet to know of the iniquity. He's probably shocked that Korahor was trodden upon. I mean, he was no good, but he's probably shocked that he was killed. And so he decides he's going to go and reclaim these dissenters. Now, the thing you need to know is in verse 4, it tells us dissenters usually, and we've seen that pattern, align themselves with the Lamanites. And so they become a danger not only to the Nephites spiritually, but they also become a danger physically. And so um, Alma knows he's got to go and try and reclaim them because it is best for them spiritually and physically. And so he knows this has to happen in verse five. Um, the whole point of this chapter I felt this morning as I read is really this um, knowledge of how we reclaim our own lost dissenters. And so I had the thought, this is what came to me for wayward children. And this is what we do when we have kids, which all of us do, have kids who start to think for themselves and don't want to do what we've taught them to do. And so I love verse 5, and this is the key. And now as the preaching of the word had a great tendency to lead the people to do that which was just, yea, it had had a more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else which had happened to them. Therefore, Alma thought it was expedient that they should try the virtue of the word of God. So not war, not famine, not anything else had as great effect as the word of God, reading the scriptures and prayers. And I love that because it's such a key to what we need to do as parents. We need to make sure we're having come follow me, that we're having daily scripture study, that we're having family prayer. And sometimes that's really hard, but we've got to persist in doing it so that our dissenters and those who are trying to get away continue to hear how much the Savior loves them and the Word of God. And so then I love in verse 6 that it tells us who he takes with them because this is so huge. Therefore, he took Ammon, Omner, Aaron, and Himni. So his four, you know, the four brothers, the sons of Mosiah. And um, it tells us actually three of them in Himni. He did leave in the church in Zarahemla. It's important to have one there. But the former three he took and also Amulek and Zeezrom. Okay, how cool is that? That we've got our two who were so huge in Antionum. I love this. So you've got Amulek and Zeezrom. And it tells us that those two give the rest of their life to missionary work and to the church, that they literally give everything to God, lay everything on the altar and change who they are. And that just is so cool. In um, seminary, I would often say to my kids, can you imagine what a powerful trio? You have Alma, you have Zeezrom, you have Amulek. 
and you're teaching people and they begin to cry and say, but I've done this in my life. Okay, one of those three is going to say, so did I. I mean, honestly, you have got the power three and I, I call them the three musketeers for God. They're just awesome. And I love that it even this verse is here because it just is one sentence to tell us what the rest of their lives look like and who they became. So that's huge. And then it also tells us he took two of his sons and it, we already know he didn't take his oldest son. His name's Helaman because he leaves him as the record holder of the church and will have those blessings that he gives to his sons. But he does take with him Shiblon and Corianton. And what that means shows to me and illustrates to me is what a powerful example for Shiblon and Corianton to get to go with Amulek and to get to go with Zeezrom and get to go with these three sons of the son three of the sons of the sons of Mosiah. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. But how powerful for Corianton and what an example of forgiveness and repentance because we all know Corianton chases the harlot and does damage to the church. But this is such a powerful example of forgiveness and repentance. So again, goes with what I feel like this all centers on is wayward children and how to keep them with you in the gospel, but also how to reclaim them once they've left. Okay. So that is, those two verses are huge for that. All right. So now it tells us the Zoramites were dissenters. We already know that. They had the word of God. In verse 8, it tells us. In verse 9, they had fallen into great errors for they would not. So there's those two words. Would not observe to keep the commandments of God. So they weren't keeping the commandments or statutes according to the law of Moses. Then in verse 10, neither would they observe the performances of the church to continue in prayer and supplication that they might not enter into temptation. In verse 11, they did pervert the way of the Lord. And what that means is they did change the way of the Lord. And we're going to find out how they changed it. But one of the questions I would ask my kids at this is say, how? How had they fallen into errors? What had happened? Read those three verses, 9 through 11. What changed because how did they fall away? And it's so awesome. And then how can we make sure that we don't fall away? Then what do we need to do to make sure that doesn't happen to us? And right there, it tells us that we need to make sure we're having our prayers. We need to make sure we're having our scripture study. We need to make sure we're doing come follow me, that we're gathering, that we're fasting, that we're worthy of a temple recommend, and that we're doing service. All of those things are so important. And that's what keeps us tethered to the Lord. Okay, so here's how they changed it. Verse 12, it tells us they gathered one day a week. Okay, so do we, right? We gather for church. They did the same thing. Okay, then they placed in the very center of their church a holy stand or a ramiumpton. And then it tells us they would go up, they had prayer. They, they, whoever desired to worship would go stand on the center of the stand with their hands toward heaven with a loud voice. And then they begin this prayer. And here's how they change their prayers. And then you'll read that. Holy, holy God, we know thou art a spirit forever. What? Okay, that's not truth. So they've totally discounted that Christ will come and inhabit a body and that he will save us. So they've wiped out the atonement that he will remain a spirit forever. 
Then also that thou hast separated us in verse 16 from our brethren, that we are elected, that we figured it out, that there is no Christ. We're so wise. We're not bound under these foolish traditions. Doesn't this sound like everything Korahor was saying? It really does make you think maybe this is where he came from. And that's why he went back and aligned himself with them. Because here are his arguments. We figured it out. We are so wise. We're not held down under these foolish traditions we know there isn't a Christ and you've chosen us which tells us in verse 17 we're elected to be saved and all else will be destroyed okay how horrid is that not only do they not believe we're all children of God our heavenly father but they're saying that only they will be saved that's so weird buying them down in a belief in Christ what leads their heart to wander from thee that's the end Okay, and then again, it goes to 18. We thank you that we're chosen and a holy people of God. Amen. Okay, now it tells us in verse 19, Alma and his brother are astonished beyond measure. Holy cow, wouldn't you be? That is so far from what they have been taught. They have changed things so much. And then here's the thing that I think as you read through that, they've done church, they've done prayer, check and done, and then they go away and they never talk of God or doing what he's asked us to do again. And somehow in their minds, they think they're still doing what they're supposed to be doing. That is craziness. Okay, go down to 24. Now, when Alma saw this, his heart was grieved, for he saw they were a wicked and a perverse people. Yea, he saw their hearts were set on gold and silver and all manner of goods. 25, and he saw that their hearts were lifted up in boasting and pride. And it just goes on. It's just devastating. And basically what he, what it is, it's a whole city of Korhor. It's a whole city who believes as he does. And how sad those arguments, those 10 things in the last chapter that we found, and maybe you found more with your kids. But all of that, listen, this is this whole city of these kind of people. And how could you stand it as a prophet? I wouldn't even know how to reclaim them and get them back. It's devastating to him. And so I love that he lifts up his heart in prayer and cries unto the Lord in 26. And he says, oh, Lord, how long will you suffer that we to us to dwell here below in the flesh and witness such gross wickedness. Really, it is disgusting. And then 27, he starts telling him what he's seen that they're doing. And then I love, jump down to 30. Oh Lord, how long wilt thou suffer that such wickedness and infidelity be among thy people? Really bind our wandering hearts to thee. Look at them. They're not anywhere near what they've been taught. Oh Lord, and I love this. Give me strength to bear mine infirmities, for I am infirm, and such wickedness doth pain my soul. And we know that as parents. We know when we have a wayward child, such wickedness doth pain our soul. There is no greater pain that I have ever felt in my life than knowing one of my kids had strayed and just praying for, for strength to still love them and, and see this and witness it. And so then in 31, he says, my heart is exceeding sorrowful. Oh Lord, wilt thou grant to me? And I love this. Here's the three keys that I may have strength, that I may suffer with patience. Remember how he'll try us in faith and patience. 
Okay, that I may suffer with patience because really we want them changed tomorrow, right? We want the Alma the Younger experience and we don't think of all the years that Alma was away. We only have this story and we think of it as being an instantaneous thing, which it wasn't. So that I may have strength, that I may suffer with patience um, because of the iniquity of these people. And so he does comfort, give me comfort, give me strength. And give me patience. And that needs to be our prayer. Those three things. Give me comfort. Give me strength. Give me patience. And if we can do that. We can continue to love them. And we can continue to trust in God's plan. And know that he does have a plan. And he loves them. And he wants all back. And then I love in 35. This goes on to this. Behold O Lord. Their souls are precious. He witnesses, God loves all, and many of them are our brethren. Therefore, give to us, O Lord, power and wisdom that we may bring them back again to thee. So comfort, strength, patience, power, thy power, and thy wisdom. So those are key here, and I love that. And then 36, it says he claps his hands upon them, which means he sets them apart as missionaries. He blesses them, and he blesses them in 38 with strength in affliction because he knows he's been on a mission. So have the sons of Mosiah, Amulek has seen it. He knows it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy, but I love that he says this. Give them strength that they should suffer no manner of affliction, save not, don't let them suffer affliction, but when they do, that it will be swallowed up in the joy of Christ, that they will trust God's plan. And that's what we need to pray. Pray that you will give us strength and that we, it will be swallowed up in the joy of Christ, that we will trust his plan. And I just want to end by sharing, there was a time where I had a son, and I think I've told you guys this before, who went away, a return missionary, for quite a few years. And at one point, the Spirit said to me as I prayed and said, what else can I do? Alma's father fasted, and so I fasted every Sunday. And there was a point where um, I told the Lord I didn't think fasting was working. And the Spirit's kind of took me through, and I've told you this before too, um, that the fasting was for me, that God was more worried who I was becoming and that I needed to trust that he would do what he was doing with my son and trust in that plan, but that God wanted me to become who he needed me to become. And that was so touching. Well, it was really neat. My daughter wrote home from her, her mission And shared with me this awesome story. And if I've told you this before, I just quickly want um, to share it again because it goes so well here. And uh, 70 had come and shared in their zone conference or their mission conference, excuse me, it was the whole mission about how we reclaim wayward children. And he talked about this analogy of standing on a dock. And he said, all of us are on a dock. And it's as if one of our children pushes off in a boat with no oars and they have an anchor which is the gospel which they could throw off at any point in time but they choose not to and we have a rope that is held to that boat and we have a choice we can one throw that rope in to the water and say you've made your boat you've made your bed lie in it it was your choice i'm done of course we're not going to do that and as the waters get choppy and get wild and get hard um 
we can either hold tightly to that rope, so scared for what that boat is enduring, what our child is enduring out there, trying to force them to choose the way we know is right. And if we do that, most assuredly, they will capsize and their boat will turn over and they will be lost. But if we hold that rope loosely and we let give that rope slack and we watch that boat and we keep our eye on that boat and on our child, eventually that child, that 70 said, and has promised us, and we have that promise from many prophets and apostles, that they will cry uncle and say they are ready to come home. They are ready to come back. And just like the prodigal son, we will be ready to welcome them with loving arms and like his father fall on him who has been watching for him with both arms and love him and welcome him home and we will bring that rope back in that is the lesson of this what we do and and I would say to my kids at the end of this lesson so what do we do as a family what can we commit to do as a family and I might even ask is there anyone that you're concerned about in our family or among your friends what can we do for them? What can we do to let them know we love them, that the Lord loves them, and let them know we're here? And the lesson in that for me was I was sending scriptures. I was sending the thoughts to them. Every time I'd read a conference talk or something would stand out to me, and the Lord finally said to me, all that does is tell them how disappointed you are in them. Just love, Aaron. Just love. And I love that this whole prayer that Alma prays is about comfort, it's about strength, it's about patience, but it's also praying for miracles and that we will have wisdom and that we will have power. And I bear you my testimony. I know these stories are here to help us, that they are true accounts and journal accounts of of people who have gone through this and can strengthen us and help us to go through our own trials and adversities. And I love this story. I hope you know the church is true, and I hope you know how much the Savior loves you.